that Jesus called a woman a dog. Not a question I want to broach very often, but did he just do that? Did, did he just say what we heard him to say? Now we know that Jesus was prone to shock us and put us on our heels and to put us on notice and to pay attention. Sometimes he seems to act out of character, at least in terms of that Gentile, that gentle, sweet nature of Christ that we like to hold on to, which is valid, of course. Last week, he was harsh towards the Pharisees, called them a bunch of hypocrites. Next Sunday, we're going to revisit the story where Jesus is facing Peter and will call one of the, the, one of the most important disciples the devil. Jesus, at some point, when he gets to Jerusalem, will clear the temple out with a whip and, and raising Cain among those who had gathered there. And there was even this time that he was in the boat with the disciples and a dangerous storm came. And he chastised them for having no faith because they were afraid. No, Jesus often makes us question that pastoral image that we have of him. Yet for me today... This kind of shocking moment kind of takes the cake, if you will. Jesus speaking of someone in arguably, arguably a dehumanizing way, referring to her as a dog is, well, that's different. And I think we'd agree that on any given day, calling someone a dog is likely not going to be justifiable, whatever the setting doesn't exactly sound like the Christian thing to say here. But having said that, what I realize is I say that in the context of Jesus' own words. So who am I to call Jesus to task? Now there's a, a, a wide range of opinion and scholarship on why Jesus refers to her in this way. In commentaries and sermons I've read over the years and even offered myself and there's three or four different approaches. One is to, is we've kind of whitewashed Jesus' language here. We, that's what we want to do here. We want it to sound nicer than it really is. This Greek word for dog could be used as puppy, some would say. And, and maybe this is intended to sound endearing, as if around this family table you have the family dog begging for scraps. Now, dog lovers are going to gravitate towards that one, I'm sure, as I am a dog lover, but it doesn't quite settle well for me. It's hard to justify such a hard or understand such a hard, problematic way to see someone. It's a disparaging word. Another approach is to say, well, Jesus, he was speaking tongue-in-cheek. He was being ironic to make a, a point. He does use irony a lot, and he does like to teach that way, and maybe there's some truth here. Jesus, allowing himself to look a bit foolish or even mean at this point, maybe he's reflecting what he has seen others, and maybe he's trying to show others what their behavior looks like when they treat others this way. The problem is this text tells us that this is, these are two rather private moments. Jesus has entered a house away from everyone else, so he may have not had a crowd there to, to teach in that way. Another approach is to say that he was tired and trying to find a place to rest, and that too may have some validity for us. He's gone into a house to get away, and in his looking to breathe, yet he is approached with one more problem, 
one more person asking for his help. So he, he comes off a bit terse and, and maybe a bit short because of that. I don't know about you, but if Jesus were that way in this moment, I'd, I'd forgive him. <laughs> we've, we've, we've experienced some of that ourselves, haven't we? If there's one more thing to deal with today that wasn't here yesterday, and that's what our world can feel like at times. But then we have these other stories where Jesus is tired and, and trying to get away, and they come to him with their problems, and, well, he just shows compassion. He does what's needed, as tired as he is. And yet one more way to think about this is, as many have done over the years, Jesus was fully human, so it makes sense that he struggled with making mistakes himself, changing and adapting and recognizing and evolving himself. A few years ago, many years ago, there was this movie called The Last Temptation of Christ, and it created a fervor because it asked us to consider that very thing, the, the humanity of Jesus, and what were temptations like for him? For him? My theology resists that. I'm not sure I'm quite settled there myself, but it's not strange that God was willing to change and adapt. I think about the, the rainbow after the great flood story. It, it was a promise that I will, as your creator, I will never destroy you as I did before. God sent Jonah to a place called Nineveh. Nineveh was a pretty bad place. Folks behaved really badly, and God's wrath was ready to pour out upon them, and Jonah was there to do that, but then God's heart changed and compassion kicked in and, and they confessed and much to Jonah's chagrin, that became a redemption story. Maybe there's truth in all these things. I, I don't know. I'm just going to offer that at the end of the day, perhaps our best approach to Jesus' encounter with this woman is to just let the tension sit there. What if the best approach is to simply let the text be heard as it is. Maybe we should neither soften nor make Jesus out to be a flawed character. Maybe neither one of those. Maybe we just allow the tension of this moment to impact us, to set in it for a while. This story, in a lot of ways, unfolds in the gospel's time and again. There's so many stories where people have a hard time seeing the value of others around them based on a whole host of things. The Gospels clearly show us that in this first century, the poor, the frail, the sinful, the irreligious, the refugee, women and children lived very vulnerable lives, lived very much on the margins. The Gospels bring us into direct contact often in this harsh reality and what it's like to live outside the, the realm of acceptance and wholeness. And this reality is with us still today. We don't need to look around for very long to see it. Human suffering and social and systemic isolation continues in so many ways. There are few, if any, examples of human suffering or human struggles that do not find their roots in the problem of including and helping and welcoming people. The demons we face, the wars we fight, the, the massive numbers of refugees in our world, the divisions we experience, everything that wants to hold our people and communities hostage, they seem to have almost 
everything to do with our persistent ability as humanity to keep out and section off and to wall off entire demographics of folks. We see the struggle in racism and poverty and homelessness. Too often addiction is seen as a personal flaw instead of a struggle that we can minister to better. Child abuse rates soar in our state. In recent, we have seen human trafficking continues to go on right under our noses here. Politics have so created a level of toxicity that sometimes we confuse being spiritual with being political. These are uncomfortable, difficult truths. And we make the mistake, I believe, to think the Gospels do not speak into those realities and problems. We might want to step aside our or avoid at times. But the sheer number of times that Jesus acknowledges and forgives and receives and welcomes those who have been marginalized tells us something very important. It tells us that we should too. We should do the same. This week I got to participate in a webinar on healing racial trauma as one example of this. We were meant to understand the ongoing trauma of those who face racism on a regular basis, personally and generationally. And one of the things we talked about is the ability we have, almost natural ability, to want to either fight or flight in those moments. Hard conversations, we want to run from them or they, they bring us into friction with each other. We also talked about the, the pain of minimizing or ignoring such things. So here we have Jesus, confronted by a Gentile woman of Syrophoenician background. And that tells us something. It tells us she was not part of Jesus' culture or family unit. Those in Jesus' day would not have accepted her as being part of the, the kingdom of God even. She would have been on the margins. And 2,000 years later, stories like this remind us that his mission was bigger and much harder than they could have ever expected. And his mission was for far more folks than anyone could ever have imagined. So as Barbara Brown Taylor once wrote of this story, you can almost hear this huge wheel of history turning here. As Jesus helps us to come to new understandings of who he is and what he's called us to do. And what we might miss here today is where Jesus went. Jesus was in Gentile lands. He, he went to places considered unclean in the world. And he brought his disciples into places where the dust on their feet would have been considered unclean because of where they were. And this tells us this is who Jesus was. He set himself up for encounters just like this. He went to places that weren't normally gone to. And so should we. Something happens when you enter those places, enter those experiences where struggle exists. Something happens to us that can't happen unless we show up. Today we might be thinking of ER rooms, our poor neighborhoods, our places where fires and floods and earthquakes have brought ruin. It's one thing to know of them. It's a different thing to step into those places. It changes you. And to enter such places is important that we do and, and to not avoid them. So I lean towards this idea that Jesus is indeed being ironic. Jesus is 
whether intentionally or not showing us, meant to show us what it looks like to overcome, what it's like to listen when we have not before. And his gospel is for all people. And what we see here is perhaps the very first person, as Mark sees it, who have been outside of Jesus' mission to this point, who have not been included into that kingdom of God. You see her crossing into the community that you and I are now a part of. She is us. And what we're also to confront here and to, to pay attention to is her desperation. She's desperate. Her child is suffering and she is about to be overwhelmed with it. And she's heard that Jesus can help. And so she asks for help. You know what's funny, isn't it? That when we really need help, when we're suffering, when we face trauma, we don't bother to check those who can help, where they came from, what faith they're a part of, what their background is from. We just need help. And this is who she is. Whatever she was before, whatever others said she was before, here today in this story, she is a child of God. And she's nothing less. And often, in order to welcome one another as children of God, we must set aside anything that keeps us from seeing that in each other. That's clearly happening here. There's no doubt that Marx thinks that this is a pivotal moment because from this story of the Seraphonician woman, he goes to yet another Gentile territory in Decapolis and he, and he heals a man who can't speak or can't hear by touching his ear and, and touching his tongue. And, and then after that, Jesus goes to a hillside and he's going to feed 4,000 more folks just like these two with loaves of bread from just a few. Jesus has moved from a few crumbs towards this woman to whole loaves of bread for those on the hillside who need to know how much they too are a child of God. Every story reminding us, pointing towards God is for all of us. No one is left out. Everyone included in this great kingdom. So we are to do the same, right? Sometimes we find comfort in our own places and in neighborhoods and sanctuaries. And sometimes, though, we need to step out and into those other places and experiences to change us and to see how wide God's kingdom really is. And I think that the grace that we can bring to her today in this story is to simply acknowledge the Seraphonician woman, to hear her, to let her voice ring out today. She is the one in our world who persistently and consistently wants us to hear her say, I'm not being included in this community of humanity as I need to be. I belong too. Sometimes we get tired of hearing the Seraphonician woman. She keeps shouting out. She keeps telling us her plight. And she keeps asking. And we must make a choice to listen or not. Will we listen to those who tell us about the pains of racism? Will we listen to the refugee who cannot go back home because they can't live there anymore? Will we listen to anyone for any reason who's telling us that they feel like they don't have access to what is required to live whole and healthy lives? Will we listen to creation crying out to us and take better care of our resources? Will we listen? Yes, the gift we give the Seraphonician woman 
is not to tune her out. It's to believe her. And with God's help, begin to bring healing where and when we can. It reminded me of a story of a man and a wife. It reminded me of my own household, to be honest with you. My wife was always saying stuff to her husband, and halfway through the statement, she would stop and say, are you listening to anything I'm saying? And then the husband, me, half the time, dropping my paper or setting aside what I was doing and saying, what? What are you talking about? So she decides, I need to get your hearing checked. And so she took him to the clinic to get his hearing checked, and the doctor came out and said, sir, your hearing, your listen, your hearing is, is just fine. What I recommend for you, though, is a good marriage counselor <laughs> so that you might listen more often. Christ is our great counselor. Christ is the one who calls us to listen and pay attention to the Seraphonician woman and those like her. No, you and I, on our own, we will never face and overcome all that sets before us these days. Not on our own. We will need help. We are part of the body of Christ, though. We are part of the church universal. And I do believe that the church together can and must, or we're not the church at all, to address all that harms and brings divisions in our world. In Christ, we have one who, as our lectionary, other lectionary text says today, causes the eyes of the blind to be opened and the ears of those who are deaf unstopped. And then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless will sing for joy, for water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So what can we do? How do we, as we face all that stands before us today, listen and bring about healing? You've heard some of those answers already. You give your communion offer to help us support the homeless ministry of Room at the Inn. You give towards UMCOR that go into the flooded and the, and the shaken and the burned lands of our world to bring help. You can commit to recycling or, or doing things that bring you to awareness and, and that help our world heal a bit. As our community and nation begin to welcome Afghan refugees, step into helping agencies like the International Center to welcome them into the community. Read books like Healing Racial Trauma and learn more about how to bring healing in the face of racism. We can listen to doctors and nurses trying to help us to live through pandemics well. But one thing must be true in all of that, and that we must overcome anything that keeps us from hearing, anything that keeps us from hearing those who cry out, anything that keeps us from hearing the desperate calls for help in the world and believing that not only do we have crumbs to share, but we have the bread of life in Jesus Christ to bring healing and wholeness. The same crumb of bread and grace that Christ offered the Seraphonician woman is available at this table today. So as we come to this table today, may we, like her, receive. May we be fed may we be changed. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you.